Hi there, my name is Adam Waters, and I'm the lead pastor here at Grace Bible Church in Elmhurst, Illinois. I'm just so glad that you made the decision to take us along with you this week on life's journey. Here at Grace Bible Church, we are a family of faith who seeks forgiveness, healing, and hope in Jesus Christ. Now, we might all come from different backgrounds, but each of us recognize that the tremendous needs in our lives point us to one place, to God, for His answers, His provision, and mostly, for His grace. I hope the following program gives you a new perspective on who God is, who you are, and how you too might find forgiveness, healing, and hope in our Lord Jesus. Thanks for listening. Good morning. I'm so grateful to be here today and to be with you and to talk about God's word for us and his will for our lives. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time. We pray that you would give us ears to hear and willing hearts, Lord, to do exactly what it is that you've called us to do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In preparing for this message, I was thinking about an introduction. It's always the last thing that you write when you're writing a sermon because you don't really know what God wants to say until you're done writing it. But so this morning, I was sitting in there doing my last little sort of review, and what am I, how do I want to start this? And the Lord, I, I, he put Johnny Cash on my heart. I'm not going to lie. It has to be him, after all. And he gave me the line uh, of the lyrics to the song, Walk the Line. Many of you probably know it, right? Walk the Line. Well, when I first heard that song, I got to admit, I thought that it was talking about a woman. Because I love this woman, I'm going to walk differently. But I knew better than to just get up and say that. So I actually looked the lyrics up before I came up and said anything about them. And this is what they say. It's a simple song. I walk the line because you're mine. I keep a close watch on this heart of mine. I keep my eyes wide open all the time. I keep the ends out for the tie that binds. Because you're mine, I walk the line. He's talking about Jesus Christ, okay? Johnny Cash is saying, because I belong to you, because I am redeemed by you, because I follow you, I will not do the things that I once did. I will not do the things that I want to do. He says, I walk the line. This, ladies and gentlemen, is the line. This is the line. We are called, as God's children, those who have been redeemed by the blood of Christ, to walk in a way, we've read this, in a manner worthy of our calling, to walk as imitators, as we'll see today, of God, of Christ, who has called us out of the kingdom of darkness into the wonderful kingdom of life. But we struggle with this, don't we? I mean, this is the sum of the Christian life, that difficult balance between walking for self and what gratifies our sin, what allows us to do what we want to do, and also to live the things of this world. This is often called practical atheism. This means that we can come on Sunday, we can talk about in a very conservative, theologically astute way, the truths of God's word. We can say all of the right phraseology. We can talk about how these things are important to us and we can elevate them to a very high place in the way we talk, but then as Sunday afternoon happens, we deflate, all of it pours out, and by the time we're back on Monday, it's as if we're starting all over again. Many ways, it's as if we're living as if God doesn't even exist Monday through Saturday. 
So today we're in Ephesians 5. We're continuing in our series called Therefore. Ephesians 5, verses 1 through 21. You have Bibles in the pews. It's also going to be up here. The series is called Therefore. And wouldn't you know the first word of today's text is therefore. So read along with me. Ephesians 5. Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Now, I don't know what your translation specifically says. Mine, the ESV, says, be walking as beloved children, period, and walk in love. Okay? In the original Greek, there is no period there. In the original Greek, there was no punctuation. But the creators of the Greek New Testament, the editors who put it through, have found good reason for there not to be a period there. So it would read like this. Be imitators of God. Walk as children of the Lord. By walking in love. By walking in love the way Jesus did. You see, Paul begins this word, therefore, he says, because everything that I have just said is true, you must be different. You must live differently because this is true behind the scenes. Remember the spiritual realities that Christ has accomplished for us, that the Father has accomplished through him. Because those are real, therefore there is a conclusion. Because there is a cause, there must be an effect. Paul calls us to imitate God and to walk as Christ walked, mimicking the Father in love. You see, the truth is, is we are God's beloved children. I think there are times that we consider God this sort of distant being, something other than us, and that is true. But there is another side to that coin. The coin is, the other side is that God is a person, that he is our father, that we are his children. And therefore, we are to walk in our father's footsteps as modeled by Jesus Christ in his life. We imitate our heavenly father when we walk in a manner that is ultimately characterized by love. Love means sacrifice. For the world, no other love than this, or no greater love than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. A sacrifice is a demonstration of love. Christ's demonstration of love toward the Father and toward us is that he gave his life. is an offering to God, a sacrifice, fragrant and holy before the Father. So in this text, Paul explains what walking in love looks like. What does that mean? Today, the word love has such an amorphous idea. Basically, it's whatever you want it to mean. But this, the scripture, tells us what love looks like. It tells us what walking in love must look like. So walk through me here with these four ways that we can know if we are walking in love. First, walking in love means pursuing love holiness. Verse 3, but sexual immorality and all impurity and covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, convicted yet, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, listen to this, that is an idolater, has 
no inheritance in the kingdom of God and Christ. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partakers with them. Verse 3, Paul gives us three areas that are ripe for unholiness in our lives. The first one is sexual immorality. The word in Greek, believe it or not, is porneia. There was a time where I had an application on my computer that tracked everything that I typed, everything that I searched, and it was linked to my friend. I happened to be doing a paper once on pornography. And so I was typing in the porneia in Greek, and it came up like 6,000 hits or something in the course of a week. And he called me and said, hey, bro, are you okay? I said, yeah, I'm actually doing really, really well. And we had an amazing conversation about what this word means. Sexual immorality. Older texts often translate it as fornication. So what is it? Why is it that we translate it in these two ways? Well, there's a long answer, and I can stand up here, and I can list every thought, every attitude, and every behavior that would fall under this category. Homosexual behavior, transgenderism, adultery, sex, heterosexual sex, outside of marriage, all of the fantasy world that we live in, everything. I could state it all. Or I could give you the simple answer, the short answer. It's anything that goes contrary to God's revealed word as it applies to our sexuality. God designed the way we are God designed marriage and sex, and it's good and beautiful and perfect. Yet our sinful hearts pervert it to something that we want it to be. Something that we need it to be in order to find some semblance of control in our lives, comfort in our lives. We make this a lot about behaviors. And we do so to our peril. Because we end up saying, is, well, I've checked all the boxes. I've not done any of these things, so I'm okay. When the truth is, is that this, perhaps among, uh, more than anything else, is a heart issue. Where is our heart? Is our heart intended or postured towards glorifying God? And living according to God's perfect will for our lives, one that creates beauty and joy and holiness before our holy God, or one that seeks to gratify ourselves, one that places our desires into the position of who we are, our identity, instead of walking in the truth of who God says we are sexual immorality. Impurity means moral corruption. It's the idea that anything goes. We see this happening more and more in our culture. see this happening more and more in church. And frankly, without the Lord, I'll see this happening more and more in me. Without the Lord Jesus and the Spirit of Christ within us, this is spiritual entropy. This means anything that is of an organized system over time without anything coming outside of it to create that organization will devolve. Will devolve. That's us. Anything which is tainted by sinful desire. And finally, covetousness. Paul says that those who covet are actually idolaters. The desire for that which is not rightfully yours, it is a heart of self-seeking gratification. 
The reason it's idolatry is because we will take what we want and place it in the throne of our hearts. And ultimately, it's sitting in our lap because we're the ones on the throne. When we seek that which is not ours, when we seek to live a life, to make determinations, to make decisions, to do the things that not, are not rightfully ours, we covet those things. And the self-seeking heart within us continues to grow. Verse 4, Paul says it's particularly significant in the area of our speech. Why? Why? Let me tell you. There's something about being a pastor preparing messages each week. I come out of a week pretty beaten down. This is one of those passages. Now, many of you know my story. Before I was a pastor, I was a plumber. You'll see a theme. Before I was a plumber... I was a prisoner. Before I was a prisoner, I was a sailor. So I have heard and shared and partaken in every colorful language you can possibly think of. So when I read these verses, they strike me right at the heart. Don't they strike you? The things that we don't even think about what we say, the things that just sort of slip out without even considering what it's doing. Why is it here? Why does God want us to live this way? I think what he's talking about here specifically is in the area of sexuality. What we say springs from what we hold to be true and valuable in our heart. So he cautions us to look at our speech and to evaluate whether or not it's coming from a place of unbelief or a place of any of these three, sexual morality, impurity, or covetousness. When we joke about these things, when we joke about that which God holds is holy, minimizes God's will in our life. And anything which he created to be good, righteous, and beautiful. We see this in political discourse from day one. What do we do? Someone says something, we don't want to actually engage the argument, we make fun of it. I mean, it's the basis of political cartoons frequently. What we don't want to deal with, what we don't want to actually change, what we, don't, we make fun of. And so if we can make fun of these things, it doesn't feel so bad when we don't live as God asks us to. What we say is intended to create a picture in the mind of the hearer. It's the way language works. And this forces those around us to imagine a picture that we have imputed upon them by our joke. So when we're around others, we're called to only speak that which is good for building up, that which gives grace, that which is going to be edifying for them, not that which is going to drive their mind in places that may be very dangerous for them. And this is very serious. When I get up and I preach, it's very serious here because verse 5 and 6 says that God will be true to his word. He says, let no one deceive you. Let me go back one. For you may be sure of this. He's very clear. That no one who does these three things will be, an inherit, will be in the kingdom of God. And let no one deceive you with empty words. Because of these things, the wrath of God comes on the sons of disobedience. Very serious language. God has promised that sin will be punished. And he declares that all those who have not been forgiven by the blood of Christ will stand and face his wrath. 
So we must be on guard for the deception that comes with this sin. Now, there was likely in Ephesus, we talked about this, there was the cult of Diana there, there was sexual immorality, there was practices going on that would make even the worst situations today pale in comparison. So there were likely those who were downplaying the participation in that cult. This is why Paul is writing this. But Paul tells us to take care and to not be deceived because the closer we walk or the closer we become partakers with the world, the easier it is to be drawn into seeing sinful but culturally accepted behaviors as not so bad. This is the substance of God's prohibition on the Israelites as they're entering the land of Canaan of being partakers of those in the land of Canaan is that when we are walking for the Lord and we're living in a place where there's danger and deception and rampant sin, the truth is is that we are much more likely to be pulled in that direction than we are likely to pull them towards God's. The danger of us compromising the truth is very real, and so we must guide our minds and guide our speech. We are called to separate ourselves from engaging in these behaviors. Now, we're not called to be monks. We're not called to be Amish. We're not called to remove ourselves from the culture altogether. God, Jesus, calls us to be salt and light. But we're called to obey wherever we are and to guard our hearts in the process. So walking and pursuing Holiness. Therefore, walking in sacrificial love like Christ also means pursuing truth. Verse 8. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Therefore, walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them, for it is shameful even to speak of the things which they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. In the scripture again and again, particularly in the book of John, but here is Paul as well, we are called light, children of light. God is light, and as his children we are as well. Light is often used as a motif for truth, of moral purity. And therefore, because we're like our fathers, we are producers of the same. I use the imagery a lot of a mirror because I think it's helpful. There is a light out. God is that light. Our hearts were created. Our lives were created to be reflections of that light. But often we turn and look at the mirror and look at ourselves and reflect only ourselves back at our face. What God calls us to do is live as children of light, to orient our mirrors, orient the heart within us towards God, reflecting his goodness and purity to the world around us. But what does it mean to walk as children of light? Well, in verse 9, Paul gives us three areas for us to consider. First, walking in light or walking as children of light means that we are producing fruit from God allowing the fruit produced by the Spirit to come out of us, not quenching the Spirit, allowing what God wants to do in our hearts and in our lives and through our speech and behaviors and attitudes to come out. He gives us three questions here. At least we can convert them into questions for self-reflection. 
when asking, am I producing this fruit that God is talking about, particularly in situations that are not outlined in the Bible? First question, is what I'm doing good? Can I compare it to goodness within the scripture and say this is what God would want? Is it right? Is it righteous? Is it morally unassailable? Is it blameless? And finally, is it true? Does it align with what God's word is saying? We can look at our lives, we can look at the things that we value, the way that we behave, the way that we speak, and compare it to these three, and we can ask ourselves and be honest, is this the way God intends me to live? Am I interacting in this situation or with this person or in this relationship? Because it's a gray area. I don't know one way or another. Let these be your test. Ultimately, discerning what the will of the Lord is. Because it's not always clear. And we do that by shedding light on the works of darkness. Verse 11. Bringing truth to error individually to others and to our culture. But I want to warn you. It's very easy to go out into the world and point out all of the problems there. That's wrong. That's wrong. You're wrong. Live different. When it must start here. Where God calls to let us, he says, allow my light to enter your heart to root out those dark spaces. For the truth of God reveals sin and allowing that light to reveal within us what is going on. Only then can we become fit servants. Only then will we be fit messengers to a world that is broken. When we've allowed the light of Christ to shine within us, to wake us up, to change us from the inside. Because you can spend a lot of time focusing on other things out there and never focusing on what's in here. And you know what you end up doing? Driving people further into the darkness because the light hurts when it's not tempered with self-reflection, with confession, with repentance about what's actually going on in our own heart. Three, walking in love means taking advantage of the time. Verse 15, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So on one hand, he's saying, discern the will of the Lord. On the other hand, he's saying, understand the word of the Lord, will of the Lord. What I think he's saying is, is try to find out what it is, and when you get the answer, do it. You ever done that? Have you ever not, never not, has there ever been a time in your life where you're not sure what you should do, so you pray to the Lord? You say, God, it seems like a gray area to me. I'm not exactly sure what I should do. Please give me truth. And then, boop, he pops it in there. And you say, give me another truth. <laughs> when we pray to the Lord and we come in faith and we trust that he's going to answer what we say, we live by it. I mean, when we get really honest, my opinion is that we all pretty much know the answer to what's going on in our lives. The dance we do is trying to get to a place where we can make it acceptable to us or find a way to make it acceptable to others. We often know we have the Spirit of God. God's there. He's telling us. Do we have the ears to hear? Paul says, walk in wisdom like a wise person. We need to be cautious with the way that we utilize the time that has been given to us. There's a beautiful song. I can't quote it because it's in Spanish. And I'll murder it if I do. But there's a line in there, and he says, 
I'll go back to my family if the Lord lends me time. And I thought, what a wonderful way of saying it. Loaning. God's time. I'm going to give you time. You invest it with the way you think best. You invest it according to my will. What we end up doing is generally falling into one of two extremes, though. One is we assume we have all the time in the world. I'll do it later. On the other hand, some of us act like we have no time at all. And all we do is run and rush and on to the next thing. But walking wisely forces us to evaluate each activity. What am I spending my time on? What are my attitudes towards time? And with a critical, discerning eye, be able to say, is this really the way God would have me invest my time? Paul says we're called to make the best use of it because the days are evil. It's not a call to efficiency. How can I do more in less time? How can I get more accomplished? This is a call to priority and focus. What really matters in the face of the world that we live in? Is it the people and the conversations we could be having? Or is it on to the next thing? This term Paul uses is a commercial term. It's actually a compound verb. It means out of the market. Out of the market. It's the idea that something is bought, right? So imagine going through a market, you're looking at all these that you find a good deal. Oh, I'm going to take advantage of that deal. When we're walking through life, there are opportunities that God has placed right before us that God has set right before us that it's, it's on sale. There's things in our life that are on sale. What are we going to do? Waste our time on the things that are expensive and ultimately don't matter? Or do we take advantage of what is available before us? If we have an eye and we're praying for these things, they'll stand out. But we have to have that time available to us. Otherwise, if we have everything packed in, our good friend over at City View has written an article for the Gospel Coalition talking about, are we sowing our fields to the edges? Or are we allowing... Let me go back and explain it. In the Old Testament, the Jews were told when they would sow a field, when they harvested it, they were not allowed to take everything off of the field. They had to leave a rim around the edge of their field for the poor who could come and take what they needed. And glean is the word, the 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 wheat or whatever it was that they sowed. Well, the same idea holds to our own lives and our time, the way we sow the investment of the time that God has given us. If we're harvesting our time all the way to the edges, leaving no margin there, when something that God has put in our way, someone that God has put in our path pops up, we're too busy to see it. We're off running around like Tigger trying to do the next thing when really what he's calling us to do is to stop and say this, focus here. Who's God calling you to focus on? Are you even looking? I don't know. This week I had somebody say, hey, do you mind if we get together sometime next week? I said, yeah. What do you want to talk about? I would like you to open the Bible with me and explain everything from the beginning. <laughs> yeah, I can do that. I can do that. But here, I'm going to give you a little bit of reading first. So I sent off 100 chapters to him. He says, I'm starting right now. Now, I didn't choose this. The Lord made this happen. Thankfully, I looked at my calendar on the day that he wanted to meet, and it was empty. Yes, I'm going to take advantage of that time. 
If we're looking at our calendar and we say, oh my gosh, look how full it is. You know, this is the sad thing, is that we can actually have calendar righteousness. You understand that phrase? We can look at our calendar and we can say, oh man, look how packed it is. I'm okay. I'm doing good. Life, I am all right before. I can feel good about my life because I'm getting so much accomplished. We do way too much. Way too much. Time is a commodity given to us by God. We should not waste it. How do we waste time? We work too much. We work too much. When I was applying for this position here, I applied for other positions too. I looked at a lot of places that were hiring. And there were churches that would say right on the beginning, right in their job description, looking for dedicated man of God. Okay, check. I'm good. Willing to work 60 hours a week. Uh Uh-oh. 50 of which in the office. Uh Uh-oh. We are called to be salt and light to the people around us. And if we are so busy chasing a dollar, if we're so busy trying to set up everything for our kids and their kids, we'll miss out on what God is calling us to do right now. It's a hard lesson where we live. It is. Because we have beautiful homes, we have a beautiful community, we build things up and then we have to maintain it and we end up being shackled to the very thing that we think is good. Yet in the end, it's a waste. When we get to heaven and we stand before the Lord, what did you do with your time? I worked really hard to have this beautiful house that I have left to some other guy who bought it. I love my house. God gave me my house. It's a blessing. I can't believe that I have the house that I have. But this week, I've just been so convicted by this. It's like, Lord, should I sell everything and move to an apartment? Should we go back to 900 square feet? We work too much. We seek comfort in everywhere else other than where God has asked us to. I remember one time I got up in the morning, I felt great. I was like, this is going to be the day that I accomplish everything on my list. Maybe one of the first times ever. And I got up and I said, you know what? I need a good breakfast, so I'm going to start out well. So I'm going to go and have my own little date by myself and go get breakfast on my own. So I did. I sat there and I ate it. That ate up a couple hours. And then I left. I said, oh, this car's dirty. I'm going to stop and get a car wash so I can ride a crisp, clean car. So I did that. That ate up another half hour. And I said, last night I was up late, re- late reading, and so I had some neck pain. Oh, I know this, wa- this massage place that always has openings, so I'm going to do that. I stood before him. How long do you like? Uh, 30 minutes. I was going in with 30 minutes. I ended up walking out with 90. 90 minutes. Over half my day is gone. It's lunchtime. What am I going to do? So I went and ate lunch. That's what you do. So then after that, what happened? Now I'm tired. It's one in the afternoon. I just ate tacos after going out and eating breakfast in the morning. So I go home and say, you know what? The Lord said there's a time for Sabbath rest. I'm going to go home and sit in my chair. Two hours later, I'm up. Okay. I realized that day, like I'm laying in bed that night, I wasted my entire day seeking comfort. 
how much, and, and when I really looked back on it, I realized that I was feeling anxiety and discontent about something in my life. And I was seeking to find an external thing an external feeling, an external practice, something to distract myself instead of going to the one who's able to comfort me. A whole day wasted seeking comfort. Now, I believe when you evaluate your life, when you stop and think, why am I doing what I'm doing? You will find what I found that day. That we seek ways to end our suffering that often don't make sense and make it worse in the end. We spend time consuming entertainment, amusement. Did you know the word amusement is from the Greek to not think? Amuse. Don't think. Be distracted. Media, social or otherwise. Or how about the time we spend scheming and planning We're always on to our next thing. But we should be judging what is most important against God's economy, not the American one. God's economy. Finally, four. Walking in love means being sensitive to the Spirit. And do not get drunk, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, if you remember the Ephesians context, this worship of Diana, this also included copious quantities of alcohol. Elsewhere in the New Testament, it talks about drinking parties. I looked that word up this week. I wanted to know exactly what they meant. What it turns out is the Roman elites would have dinner parties with speakers to come in and talk about all sorts of social issues, a new philosophy that was coming out, teachers who would come in and give a good word at somebody's party, and they were always well lubricated. That's what they're talking about. When I think drinking party, I think kegger, because that's just me. I think kegger. This was the sort of elevated drinking party. The scripture does not prohibit the use of alcohol as much as we say that it does. What we are called to is to use alcohol responsibly and to ask ourselves is partaking a good use of our time. If we cannot drink alcohol without falling into sin or wasting the time that God has given us, then we should not drink at all. Let me give you a few. How do I know if I'm drinking too much? One, you're drinking to intoxication. Drinking to intoxication. The issue with the use of substances, frankly, whether it's alcohol or anything else, is not the use of the substance per se. It is what the substance does to you that's the problem. So I had someone ask me the other day, can I smoke weed? Scripture doesn't say anything about smoking weed, so I should be able to smoke weed. I said, yeah, you can smoke weed, no problem. Can you smoke weed without getting high? He said, no. I said, then you shouldn't smoke weed. So why would I smoke weed if I can't get high? That's the point. Do not get drunk. Do not get drunk. Another, when you drink, do you behave sinfully? The things come out of your mouth. You begin saying things or doing things that are not honoring to you or to the Lord. I once went to go get communion juice and I sat in line and there was a woman, Jewel, and she's sitting there ringing people up in front of me and I came in with Welch's grape juice, you know. She said, oh, this stuff's really good. It's great antioxidants. It's like she's a Welch's chair grape juice salesperson or something. 
I was like, I just want the grape juice. He's like, she's like, yeah, it's got great antioxidants, this and that. She goes, but it's not as good as red wine. You should drink one or two glasses of red wine every day. I said, oh, I'm allergic to red wine. I said, I'm, I can't drink it. I've ne- You're allergic to red wine? I've never heard of that. I said, yes, every time I drink it, I break out in felonies. Okay. <laughs> and she didn't get it. She, what? <laughs> Felony? Well, the one behind me did. She was probably one of me. She was like, oh, yeah, break out in felonies. Me too. And then, you know. I cannot drink and control myself. So I do not drink. When we say, what does it mean to control oneself? We need to be real honest with ourselves. It's like, what? I don't get DUIs. I don't go out and do this. I don't. What does God think? I also know personally that if I drink, it will very likely lead to other things. So I do not drink. It leads to debauchery. Here's another one. When you drink, you find you cannot stop. When I drink, I get thirstier. Some of you might understand what that means. We should not drink. Ultimately, are you drinking to change the way you feel? You're drinking to change the way you feel. Paul here is saying, don't do this. Don't use this external substance in order to feel a certain way. Allow the Spirit to live within you, to pour out of you, to innervate you. To do... Get drunk on the Spirit. Get drunk on the Spirit. That's what he says in verse 19. Paul tells us that we should seek our joy in the things of the Spirit, not the things of this world. I got to be honest, this is a difficult verse for me. I mean, read it. Listen. So this is how I should look. I should not drink, okay. I should interact with my fellows. Like on a Sunday morning, I should come in and be talking to all of you by addressing you in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. That's hard because it feels fake. If I'm imputing a behavior upon myself, if I'm trying to drum up a certain way of living, it's going to feel that way. But if I'm allowing the Spirit of God to dwell in me, Remember we talked about a few weeks ago clearing out the clutter in our hearts? If we clear out the clutter in our hearts and allow the Spirit to work within us to live and to come out, it's natural. It's natural. It means to allow the fruit of the Spirit to be evident in your life. He goes on to tell us to give thanks always and everything. Just as a side note, this is so interesting to me. Maybe we all do. But I know alcoholics, they have a real hard time with Thanksgiving. Often I'll talk to people that'll call me and they're having a bad day. Say, I don't, everything's going wrong. And I'll say, write a gratitude list. Take out a sheet of paper, write as many things you can think of that you're grateful for. And call me back in 15 minutes. They'll call back. I say, how many do you have? 86. How do you feel? A lot different than I did 15 minutes ago. There's something about our brain that we're quick forgetters. We're quick forgetters. Paul says, do not get drunk on wine. Allow the Spirit to work through you and allow that thanksgiving to come out. Giving thanks to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. For this is why we are here. Final verse, submitting to one another out of reverence for love. We're going to save that verse for next week when we talk about submission, husbands and wives and slaves and masters and children and parents. 
submitting to one another out of reverence to God. All right, a couple brief things. What do we do with this information? How do we drive this into our hearts? What has to change in our lives? All of that. First, get used to being different. (laughs) Get used to being different. We are not who we used to be. God is not calling us to be who we used to be. We need to be different. So we might as well embrace it. Part of our trouble is that we're seeking to be different and the same, either to maintain business connections, friendships, relationships, even family. Sometimes it's the way we look at ourselves. Oh, I don't want to turn into that kind of, whatever that is, that kind of person over there. But we need to get used to being different. It's okay that our speech, our actions, our priorities, our values look different than the world. They should. If they don't, there's a problem. I often hear that line, maybe you hear it too, you know, about evangelism. If you just, you, you live like Jesus and you just do your thing, people will ask you, hey, why do you, you're different. Why do you do that? I've had people say to me, that never happens. You should look at your life. You should look at your life. Are you living a life that is attractive to those who are being called? Are you living in such a way that when others see you, they see Christ in you? In an attempt to fit in, we so often seek the wrong company. So get used to being different. Here's another one. Live the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Sometimes we live a little bit of the truth. We talk about Jesus. We might say some Jesus, some Christianese things. We even hold some values. But in the end, is it the whole truth? Is it the whole truth? Living in truth means that every facet of our lives matches the others and that they're all in line with God's will. The way we think is the way we talk, is the way our attitudes, is our priorities in our life. Are they all in line? Live the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Ruthlessly root out distractions and diversions. Distractions remove our attention to other things, and diversions sap our resources. Not that long ago, I was telling someone, I said, I think you should look at your your schedule. Okay, what should I do? Make it blank. Put your time with the Lord in first. Everything else doesn't matter. (laughs) Put your time. Everything else will find its place if that is central. But we end up fitting things in in order to get more accomplished, in order to maintain a structure in our life and our heart that God never intended us to have. So I'm going to challenge you to try a Whole30 media diet. Some of you are familiar with the Whole30 diet. It means that you take out basically everything. You eat air for 30 days. And then, I'm kidding. It's, it's like a paleo diet kind of thing. The point is, is that you're supposed to take everything out of your diet that could possibly cause allergic reaction, inflammation, those types of things, and slowly reintroduce them back into your life. What I would suggest to you, I've done this. One time I was uh, challenged by a pastor who said, you should, you know, why don't you stop watching the TV for 30 days? This is when I was locked up. That's, that's all I had. That's all I had. I said, okay, I'll try it. Turn the TV off. I remember the day I shut it off. I was like, this is not going to end well. I went like 95 days. What I found was when I took it away, not only was my mind not distracted, I was able to remain more focused on the things of the Lord and this this talking about walking in the Spirit, addressing one another in hymns and spiritual songs started to happen naturally. I realized that I didn't even miss it. In fact, I craved the time alone. I craved the quiet time. 
But we fill our hearts and our minds with all of this noise that we grow so accustomed to it. It feels disconcerting when we take it away, and it will. So I challenge you to take everything out and see what happens after about your third or fourth day. Finally, seek your joy in the things of the Spirit, not the things of the world. Take a look at your life and ask yourself at every point, why do I do this? Ponder the truths of the Scripture and the reality of your salvation and the eternity that is promised to be yours and judge your life against it. Why do I do this? Make a practice of showing gratitude to God and others. Joyfully submit to one another, considering the needs of others. You are your father's child. You're children of your heavenly father. You're called to imitate him and live like he lives, the the loving, perfect, righteous God that we serve. Therefore, walk in that love. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your great love for us that you shed upon us, your beloved children and your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, just as he gave himself up and loved us, gave himself up as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice unto you, Lord, we ask that you would give us that same power and desire to do it in our own lives. Lord, we confess all too often there's sexual immorality, impurity, and covetousness, Lord, that is in our hearts. Forgive us when we pointed out everywhere else but in the very place that's intended to be dealt with first. Lord, we confess that we often say things that we shouldn't. We speak foolishly, crudely, even filthily. Lord, we pray that you would change our hearts, that thanksgiving would issue out of our lips. Lord, help us to take your word as true. Help us to live in the reality that ultimately we have been saved from the wrath of your good righteousness, your perfect righteousness by Jesus Christ. And Lord, those around us who don't know the Lord yet, Lord, they still are under that wrath. May we change our lives. May we live differently that we might reflect you to them and they might be saved. Lord, remind us each day that we are children of light and that we must walk in that light. We pray, Lord, that you would give us wisdom and exposing the works of darkness. That you would help us, Lord, to do it humbly, looking first to our own hearts. Lord, I pray that you would give us wisdom to walk carefully, making the best use of our time. Help us, Lord, as we seek to live with wisdom, not to be distracted by the things of this world, like alcohol and drugs and media, Lord, ultimately, we would allow your spirit to dwell richly in us. That we might be your children, imitating you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Pastor Adam here. Well, I want to thank you for tuning in to Grace Bible Church, and I would love to hear what you thought of today's program or of ways that we can be praying for you and with you. So check us out on social media at GBCL. Also, if you would like to support our ministry, you can give securely at our website at www.gbclm.org. Now remember, God loves you, and so do we.